let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 32. There we find God's word summarized as follows. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ, without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image, so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits, and he may be praised by us. Further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and that by our godly walk of life we may win our neighbors for Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? By no means. Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. After the sermon, we will sing together from the same hymn we just sang from, hymn 28, and then the stanzas 5, 6, and 7. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, also you boys and girls, suppose that somebody gives you a birthday present. A person makes quite a deal out of it. He or she wants to be sure that you know that he or she is the one who gave it to you and why. He also wants you to know that it was quite expensive and that he had to go through quite a bit of trouble to get that present. And as he gives it to you, he says to you that he did it all because he knew that he had no choice. After all, says he, you also gave me a birthday present and now... I have to do the same. That's the tradition. And so it is my duty, my obligation. How would you feel? I don't think you would feel very good about that present, would you? Even though it may be a beautiful present and something that you always wanted, you won't feel any joy in receiving it. You would be inclined to give it back to that person and say, thanks, but no thanks. You can keep it for yourself. For you feel that the person doesn't give it to you because he really wants to. He doesn't give it to you because he cares about you. He doesn't give from the heart, but from a sense of duty, only because it is expected of him. And now the catechism asks, why must we do good works? Do we have to do good works because they are expected from us? Do we have to do good works only because of a sense of duty? Do we have to do it because God has done something for us and now we must do something for him? Because we feel obligated? Because of tradition? Well, if that were the case, how do you think the Lord God would feel? Do you think that then your good works would be acceptable in his sight? And David says in Psalm 51, verses 16 through 17, he says to God, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. 
you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David knows that the Lord God does not care about us doing anything for him or giving him anything as such, but about what is behind it. He does not care about the gift, but he cares about the giver and about the heart of the giver. And that's what I will preach to you about this afternoon. The theme is as follows. Works can only be good if they come from a renewed heart. And then we will see three things. We will see that God renews our hearts by, in the first place, the promises he makes. In the second place, the good deeds he prepares. And then finally, the kingdom he establishes. In Matthew 15, the Lord Jesus teaches his disciples a very important lesson. The disciples have been brought up to be good Jews, good citizens of Israel. And that meant that they kept the tradition of their elders. Those traditions were dear to their hearts. As far as that goes, they are not really any different from you or me. We too are brought up with certain traditions, and we like our traditions. And that's good. The keeping of traditions is like an anchor to the soul. They keep you grounded. They keep you connected with people who maintain the same traditions. That's also how you keep connections with family. Each family has their own traditions to do certain things on a certain day or in a certain way. The keeping of traditions strengthens the bond that you have with others. We do the same thing in church. There are traditions in church as well. As such, there is nothing wrong with traditions. But traditions should not play the role that God never intended for them. For what is it that really ties us together as a family of God? When we bring up our children, what are they given at the very beginning of their lives? Well, they are given God's promises. They are proclaimed to them right at their baptism. The promise of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And the parents are told to instruct their children according to the covenant promises given to the children of believers. And as you find them in the Old and New Testament. The children are to be brought up in the knowledge that they belong to God's people. They are taught to know that as God's people, they have a wonderful inheritance. They are taught to know that they have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That is God's gift to them. They have that promise even when they don't obey God. Because that is impossible for us to do. We are too great sinners for that. And that's also how we are tied together as a family of God. God promises to make us one with him. And he gives us the first fruits of those promises already in this life. We will have in full what he promised in the life hereafter. And we know that God doesn't take his promises away. He doesn't take them away even when we sin against him. 
For if that were the case, then we would be on very shaky ground. For we sin all the time. But God does not say to us that we will become his children if we keep his commandments, if we keep his rules. No, he tells us that we are his children and that for that reason we have to keep his laws. It is for that reason that we have to be obedient to him. Okay, what about traditions then? How do they fit in? Well, as I said, traditions do play a role. Each family has its own traditions, and we as Canadian Reformed Church have our traditions as well, and so do other churches. Traditions are important. But as long as you understand their role. For with traditions, there are some real pitfalls, some great dangers. Traditions have to be in accordance with the Word of God. For traditions can take on a life of their own. You may think that since you have been brought up in certain traditions, that everybody has to do the same. You may think that your traditions are the only ones that have some worth. And then those traditions become the bedrock of your faith. If anybody then attacks your core values, then you are greatly alarmed. And you see, that is what happened with the Pharisees. In Matthew 15, we read about a very important teaching moment in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Matthew informs the readers that an official delegation of Pharisees from the Sanhedrin had come all the way from Jerusalem to confront him with his unorthodox, unorthodox ways and his lack of respect for the traditions. The Lord Jesus was doing things that really disturbed the Pharisees. He did not teach and do things that had become the practice in Israel. He was different from all the other teachers. He didn't toe the line. He deviated from the norm. And in this way, he undermined the very foundation of their religious faith. And so they had to confront him. They used the fact that the Lord Jesus and his disciples did not wash their hands before they ate as an example of his irreverence. This, of course, did not really have anything to do with cleanliness as such. That was only a side issue. In reality, it had to do with the whole style of ministry of the Lord Jesus. The lack of respect for the tradition of washing your hands before a meal was indicative of everything that was wrong with the teachings of the Lord Jesus. As far as the Pharisees were concerned, if Jesus rejected the sacred traditions of the nation, then he was a heretic. But the Lord Jesus turns this around on them. He accuses them of breaking God's law by practicing their traditions. He tells them that they elevated their own traditions above the law of God. And they use that as an excuse to enrich themselves, as an excuse to make their own lives more comfortable. For what did they do? Well, if you wanted to escape some financial responsibilities, then you could declare your goods to be, as it says in a parallel passage of Mark 7, verse 11, a Corban gift to God. 
that would set you free from all other financial obligations, such as caring for your parents. After all, all your possessions are going to go to the Lord after you die, aren't they? Isn't that a good thing to do? This was an unbiblical tradition. According to Exodus 20, verse 12, you have to honor your father and your mother. But the Corban rule would make a person dishonor his parents and at the same time disobey God. And therefore the Lord Jesus replies by quoting from Isaiah 29, verse 13, telling them that their hearts are far from the Lord and that they worship him in vain, that all they do is pay lip service to him. Paul says the same thing about himself before he was converted. In Galatians 1, verse 14 and following, he writes that when he, before his conversion, tried to obey God, he did so by keeping the traditions of the Pharisees alive. And he kept those traditions to please men and in order to gain status. But he didn't do it to please God. Brothers and sisters, tradition brings empty words to the lips. But truth penetrates the heart and changes the life. Actually, tradition robs a person of the power of the word of God. Unfortunately, we are not immune from that either. We make certain traditions more important than anything else. We are deathly scared to do something different from the way things have always been done, especially when it comes to certain things done in church. People are afraid to change certain traditions. But you always have to ask, what does God want? Well, God wants us to serve him from our hearts and not just with our lips. Everything has to be from the heart. According to Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, we believe from the heart. And Matthew 22, verse 37 says that we love from the heart. And Colossians 3, verse 16 tells us that we sing from the heart. And Ephesians 6, verse 6 says that we obey from the heart. And 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 says that we give from the heart. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, it is all from the heart. No wonder that David prayed in Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Now, how do you receive that clean heart? For as the Lord Jesus says in Matthew, our hearts are corrupt. We are rotten to the core. Instead of, hearts of having hearts of flesh, we have hearts of stone. And that's why we need help. We can't do this on our own. We come to the second point. In 2 Peter 1, Peter describes the readers, and that includes you and me, as recipients. Recipients of God's gifts. He says in verse 1 that through the righteousness of our Savior Jesus Christ, we have received a precious faith and godliness. He mentions faith first and calls it precious. Why? Well, because faith is the most beautiful gift that you can receive. There is nothing greater. There is nothing more wonderful. 
Because it is through faith alone that you are saved. And faith is not our action, our effort in the first place. No, faith is a gift from God. Once you realize what a wonderful gift that is, then you will also want to live a life of thankfulness. And that is what this third part of the catechism is about. That changes everything. When you realize what a wonderful gift that is, then your whole outlook is changed. For then you will do things for completely different reasons than you do it because you want to please God. It is God who works that desire in you to please him. And that is why Peter also says that we are recipients of godliness. As you know, godliness has to do with our conduct. Well, even our conduct is God's gift to us so that we cannot boast. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 10. He says, therefore, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God prepared our godliness. You may have questions about that. Do all good works only come from the Lord? What about unbelievers? They do good things sometimes, don't they? Even though they do not believe in God, we see all kinds of people do all kinds of good. Our worldly neighbors, for example, will help us when we are in trouble, and they will show kindness to us in many ways. They will also give to charities, and they will also teach their children to be respectful of authority and to be upstanding citizens. Aren't those good works? And don't unbelievers also restrain evil in their lives? They also restrain their own conduct by living healthy lifestyles. At least many that do. There are many who don't abuse alcohol or tobacco. They stay free from other addictions such as gambling. They are kind and loving but now please think about this. Why do people conduct themselves in that way? Well, ultimately for selfish reasons. They do it because they want to be thought well of by others. Or they do it because they want to live as long as they can here on this earth. It can even be that they do it because they want to make this a better world. But a better world for whom? Well, for their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Ultimately, they do it all for humanistic, for selfish reasons. They certainly don't do it because of a love of God. They don't want anything to do with God. And so they do it out of a love for self. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we also have to be careful with that. Our motivations often are also impure. We are essentially not that much different from the people of the world. Of course, we do want to glorify God in our lives. But nevertheless, we have to be careful that we too don't tie our conduct to immediate worldly benefits. That we don't do it all for ourselves. 
That's what the Pharisees did. They set very strict rules for themselves. They led a very disciplined, ascetic lifestyle. And they thought that in this way they could serve God and restrain evil. They thought that they could do that by the very strict rules that they set for themselves and for others. But don't think that you restrain evil in that way. And don't think that you serve God in that way either. Self-control doesn't come first. The disciplined lifestyle doesn't come first. What does? Faith. Godliness comes about because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved you so much that he died for your sins. And even that faith is a gift to you. Why do you think that the Lord Jesus died for your and my sins? Do you think that he did that because he had to? Do you think that he did that because he felt obligated? That was not his primary reason. Why did he do it? He did it out of love. Of course, he was obligated to do it, but he was obligated only because he obligated himself out of love. His obedience came from the heart. And that also has to be the case with us. That's also what we read in answer 86. It is a beautiful answer. Why must we yet do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his spirit. Christ, and what he, what he has done is put in the foreground. Not you or I, and what we have done or will do. Christ, the catechism says, renews us to be his image. And that is scriptural. And now God recreates us so that, we, so that he can have a people that are like him. So that we can reflect his glory. So that we can live together with him. He wants to go back to the way it was in paradise. Before the fall into sin, Adam and Eve walked and talked directly with God. There were no barriers. And the Lord God wanted to be like that again. He wants us to be like that now already. And so it is beautiful the way in which the Catechism also states that. For if you are God's image bearers, then by your godly walk of life, you will also win your neighbors for Christ. For then you share, as Peter says, in the divine nature of God. Think about that. That is really something. God has made you part of him through Christ. And because of that, he puts you and me to work. And therefore, Peter says that we must make every effort to add to our faith, first of all, goodness, and then knowledge, and then self-control, and then perseverance, and then godliness, and brotherly kindness, and love. He gives us this beautiful string of pearls, which are God's gifts to us. And which we now must also unwrap and use and cherish and practice. It is only if you do these things from the heart that you show yourself to be a citizen of God's kingdom. That's our third point.
Catechism says that no person who lives in his sin shall inherit the kingdom of God. It mentions adulterers, idolaters, thieves, greedy people, drunkards and slanders and robbers. Of course, we realize that we're all guilty of these sins. But the Catechism now refers to those people who do not want to repent from those sins, those who live in those sins. Those who live in their sins because they do not have Christ. And who therefore are not like him either. Who are not his image bearers. And God will only live with those who are like him. That is the kind of kingdom that God has established. For God's kingdom is a kingdom of love and of peace and of righteousness. And if that is not the desire of your heart right now, then you will not be able to live in such a kingdom either. When we speak about the establishment of God's kingdom, then we speak about the kingdom as it exists today and into the future. In the kingdom of God, God rules today and always. In scripture, the kingdom of God is often referred to as the kingdom of heaven. That emphasizes the future reality of God's kingdom. The life in the hereafter. In this way he points us to the great hope that we have as Christians. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to go to heaven? You children in the congregation, do you also want to go to heaven? Of course you do. But what do you think of when you think of heaven? Do you think of heaven as a place where you are served hand to foot? Do you think of it as a place where you receive goodies all the time? A place something like Disneyland or even more wonderful than that? And you adults, do you think of heaven as a place where you can totally indulge your passions? A place where everything is designed to make you happy? Do you think that of some subtropical paradise where everything turns around you where you just sit back and relax and receive everything that you could possibly want well it is true you are going to be a recipient of God's gifts and they are wonderful you will have nothing lacking there it will be a most wonderful place but that is not what God's kingdom is about in the first place what heaven is about God's kingdom is not about fulfilling yourself first but it is a desire for justice and righteousness and love it is a desire to be without sin it is a desire for love a love for all those citizens who are there together in God's kingdom with you it is impossible that if today you want to live just for yourself and to have your own desires fulfilled then you are ready for God's kingdom for you're not God's kingdom today and in the future is about living in peace and love with God and with his people. It is, as we also saw this morning, about serving others so that we too, so that they too can share in God's glory. When you serve God from the heart, then you reach up to him. And then you reach out to God's people. And then it is not first of all about me but it is about God, and it is about God's people. 
And so, once again, your heart has to be right. Your heart has to be right before God. You have to allow God to renew your heart. You have to open up your heart to Him. So that you may be a recipient of God's love. So that you can share His love and peace and happiness. And if that is how you conduct yourself, then you do your good works for the right reasons. For then you do it from the heart. Not because you have to, but because you want to. You do it out of love. The love of God and your neighbor. And that's how you fulfill the law. Amen.